This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 3, Episode 30, Unreliable Narrators. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I might be Howard. (laughs) (laughs) I demand that I am... Let's define unreliable narrator before we go completely off topic here. Um, Unreliable narrator. We're talking about a a couple of things. Um, Works differently in third person than in first person. Mm -hmm. But generally what we're having is um, either in a third person narrative, the viewpoint. When you're writing, how unreliable that viewpoint is. Meaning, are you inside their head so much that you are seeing things as they perceive the world. And therefore, they... Or the narrative is wrong as often as that character is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, first person narrator, you can have an unreliable narrator who flat out lies to the readers. And so we're going to talk about tools for using an unreliable narrator and that sort of thing. Dan, you use it a lot in the serial killer books. Yeah. Um, you're writing first person narratives. Mm-hmm. How are you using an unreliable narrator? Um, I am using an unreliable narrator. Uh, the, the same way that it was initially introduced to me, one of my favorite poems ever is uh, My Last Duchess by Robinson, right. which is kind of the classic example of yeah. unreliable narrator. And it's, it's, it's a first-person account of uh, a duke walking someone through his house and describing to him all of his artwork. And one of them, of course, is a portrait of his last duchess who was unfortunately unfaithful and, and died of some tragic accident. The unspoken subtext that uh, the poet just makes ingeniously clear as you read it is that the duke was insanely jealous of his beautiful wife thought she was unfaithful and had her killed right and he tells that story without actually telling it right and so there's two stories going on at the same time and it blew my mind and i thought this is why i want to be a writer right it's like it, it was like a logic puzzle hidden inside of this wonderful story and so that's what i try to do with serial killer is you know i i have this character john who the way he perceives the world is not the way the world actually is. Right. And so you, you get a lot of things where, you know, people will read through and he'll be talking about something and then the reader will go, wait, I know that's not right. I know that he is seeing that wrong. And that adds this extra dimension to the whole story. Now, there are a lot of ways to do this. And I'm not sure if we can cover Unreliable Narrator in the scope of a 15-minute podcast because there are so many different directions to take it. Um, but there are a couple of different generally used concepts. One of the concepts is the to add a subtext, like My Last Duchess. Mm-hmm. Um, you are adding a, another layer of what's going on by having the narrator, the way that they talk, indicating to the reader. And in that case, what it, the, your, one of your goals is going to be to get across to the reader that the l- narrator is unreliable. Yeah, you have, um, to, if they they don't you know, have to drop, you yeah. have to drop cues that say, we're not getting the whole story here. Yeah, exactly. Um, One of the other ways we use unreliable narrator is simply to make our viewpoints more connected to the reader, Mm -hmm. to make them more real. Robert Jordan does this very well. It's one of the things I've always been impressed by his writing about. And when you're reading his third-person narratives, no one's lying. No one's 
intentionally misleading you. It's but as a reader, type. you can tell yeah. you're wrong. Yeah. You can tell There's... that this world is colored by the way that Nynaeve sees it in these yep. viewpoints. And when you're in Matt's head, he thinks, oh, Rand and, and Perrin are so good with women. When you're in Perrin's head, he thinks Rand and Matt are good with women. Um, yeah. one, these sorts of things where you see, and sometimes that's just stated in narrative. And Robert Jordan indicates very early on that you are seeing things directly as these characters see them. So therefore, he can obscure things. Um, it, it gives him, the, the narrator is no longer this omnipotent voice that explains things to you, the reader. Instead, the narrative becomes the flawed manifestation of the character's own soul, which get, makes you very, very close to them. Um, it's why I like those books, <clears throat> and it's why I don't like omniscient narrator quite as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen, no, no, even Ian Banks, Ian Banks, player of games, uh, it's a story about a guy who is the best strategy gamer in, uh, in the culture universe and is, as a result, sent as an ambassador someplace else to play their game uh, in order to get close to their king and, and close a deal. And the whole story is told, uh, if, I, if I remember this correctly, is told from what sounds like you know, it kind of a third third person omniscient, you know, sort okay, of an yeah. omniscient narrator. And you get to the end and realize the story is being told to you by somebody who was actually there the whole time and has been keeping secrets from you about who he was and how he was able to be there the whole time. And that is actually the, the next thing I wanted to say, because you can use unreliable narrator as a plot device to embed something and have a pow twist mm -hmm. ending with your unreliable narrator. Uh, it works very well that way um, if you if you do it right. Yeah. Ian yeah. Banks, Ian Ian Banks is deep deep writing for <laughs> sci-fi. It's when I'm reading sci-fi, I, I think that's probably the he, he's probably the hardest guy I read, just in mm -hmm. terms of the the prose right. and the layers of meaning and and player of games was great fun. Well, yeah. you you can do a a unreliable narrator with omniscient. Uh, the Lemony Snicket books are another great example. Uh, if you want to contrast this, read The Hobbit sometimes, which has an omniscient narrator who is not unreliable. When yep. the narrator is speaking, whatever the narrator says is a fact. The narrator yeah. will say, this is what Frodo was feeling, or Bilbo was feeling at this time. This is what was going on. And you can accept that as a true statement yeah. and build your yeah, story upon it. He will it. never lie to you. Right. The, uh, the, the big modern example of the surprise, twist, unreliable narrator is uh, the movie Unusual Suspects, okay. which the entire movie is about the writer and director playing with the idea that you believe what you see on the screen. Well, and if, if we want to use a, a book example, The Prestige, yeah. which if you saw the movie, one. it loses the unreliable narrator. It has to yeah. in order to translate. It's a great film, but mm -hmm. one of the, <clears throat> the concepts of the book is the concept of the unreliable narrator because it's an epistolary story. A lot yeah. of it is told through letters and journal entries. And in these journal entries, the various magicians, the two guys, are representing themselves in a certain way through their writing specifically yeah. in order to sometimes mislead you or sometimes reveal how they're misleading themselves. And so that's a, that's a wonderful way to approach it. What do you call the, the, the little chapter headings that you see so often in fantasy and sci-fi, the little blocks? Well, I've, I've started calling them epigraphs, but an epigraph is really actually the beginning of a book. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're called. I sometimes call them chapter bumps. Um, those things. I the have seen. Things. I have seen uh, unreliable narrator type things done with those, right. where you are the Encyclopedia Galactica or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Example we all like to use uh, has information in it 
about the events you're about to read, and the encyclopedia is wrong. Right. Well, and that's, or, those are know, fun. If yeah. you want to find some fun, unreliable narrator told through epigraphs epistolarily, read Mistborn. Aha! Aha! All right. <laughs> and with that, let's stop for an advertisement. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Um, will we have, let's have Dan do the one this week. Okay, this is uh, once again an audible.com audio book. Uh, the one I'm going to recommend um, is a tragedy, so get ready for next week's tragedy episode. Um, it's No Country for Old Men by Cormac McCarthy, which is, uh, it's also anti-hero, so it's very thematic for our recent string of podcasts. Um, it is a fantastic book. It kind of has three characters, none of whom are especially heroic, all of whom are kind of tragic. Um, and it's just beautifully written. If you've never read a Cormac McCarthy book, he is, in my mind, the best word-for-word writer working today. Um, it is not genre fiction, but uh, he, he's absolutely fabulous. So, uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. If you sign up through our deal, you can uh, get it for free. Yep, and you support writing excuses by doing that every time you click through. Indeed. So we thank you very much, listeners. All right, let's get back to Unreliable Narrator. Uh, Yeah, second half? Okay, I I wanted to uh, say something when we were talking about ways to use Unreliable Narrator in writing. Uh Uh, One thing that I've seen a lot, uh, the example that comes to mind is Bernard Cornwell in the Sharps uh, Rifles series. Um, He's got, uh, you know, Richard Sharp, who's his main character, but a lot of the books will deal with Obadiah Hakeswill, who's his, uh, you know, his nemesis. And they narrate the book, you know, from this third-person limited point of view, entirely based on their own knowledge, which is inevitably flawed. Yes. And so you will see them maneuvering against each other, trying to do things. You know, one of them will start moving towards a certain city with his troop of guys, and the other one wants to cut him off, but doesn't know where he is. And it seeds a lot of tension into the story, because you know what they're trying to do, and you can see both stories, but they can't see each other, and so there's a right. lot of unreliability Let's there. put it on, put you on the spot then. Second half of the podcast, I want to talk about how our readers can use this. So how can they use that? What is that story gaining from that? How is it doing it? Um, these sorts of things, directly to our listeners. Okay, well, how are they doing it? First of all, this is uh, a great way of using multiple viewpoints. If you okay. have multiple and especially opposing viewpoints. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you have, you see the hero and then you see a different hero or a villain that are working against each other, you can use this unreliability to, uh, to show how little they know about each other and then to build a lot of tension. I okay, think that's so you're the building biggest thing you gain. And you're characterizing. Yes. Yeah. Um, simple trick, uh, if you are looking to put a, you know, a really cool plot twist in your book and... And you have figured out the, you know, the exact sequence of clues right. that need to be put in place for you to figure things out. Uh, you've also obviously, you know, put some red herrings out there. Um, and the unreliability is the character who is following the red herrings and pointing those up 
while looking at the real clues and discarding them as meaningless. Okay. And so, I feel like yeah. it's kind of a cheap trick if not done well, well but it's really effective. You can use um, Unreliable Narrator to do that. To, uh, to mislead. We've talked before that yeah. writing a good story is oftentimes you're playing the part of a stage magician. You are distracting people with the big flashy thing in one hand while you're slipping something with the other hand into an unexpected place so that you can pop it out and say, look what I just did. Um, mm -hmm. And an unreliable narrator is an excellent tool for this because if a character becomes fixated on something and believes something very strong, the reader is going to believe it as well. Now, if you come on too strong, they're going to see it's an obvious red herring, probably, right. mm -hmm. unless you handle it delicately. And I would say that on this one, more than anything else, I would say practice. A soft touch. Take and pra practice. Yeah, and use a soft touch because these sorts of things can be wonderful if you use them right. If you use them wrong, it's going to be like pounding someone in the face. Um, and it's just not going to work. Yeah. That, that same trick can work very well for satire, can work brilliantly mm -hmm. for satire because you are able to use... Um, you know, questions of ethics or morality, whatever you're trying to satirize, um, just with that kind of dramatic irony that the audience knows something is true that the characters don't believe or right. specifically disagree with, and you're setting up that to be paid off later on. Yeah. Um, so, what else? What, why do we do this? Why not just use an a narrator who's omniscient, who gets everything cleared up, and so that there aren't these confusions, because sometimes it is confusing. If, if you can't trust the characters, then who can you trust? Well, one of the reasons that I chose to use it with uh, the serial killer books was that it built a lot of sympathy with John. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if it's just about a, a serial killer and we're seeing everything from this omniscient viewpoint, black and white and cut and dried, then we know who is good and who's evil. Okay. But we introduce that element of uncertainty, you know, where the main character himself is not entirely certain what's going on, what he believes, and, and what other people are doing, then we're able to see his point of view much and, more easily. And that whole theme of uncertainty is established in the title of the first book. I am not a serial killer. It, it raises the question. It's suspiciously Why specific. did you even need to tell me that? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I, I think we downplay, or we downplay is the wrong word. We sometimes don't acknowledge the importance of uncertainty in writing. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons yeah. why omniscient fell out of favor is because if you can't hide things and if you can't obscure things, then oftentimes the story doesn't have that compelling drive. You've got to find out the, find the I answers. I actually think, and, and this is, we haven't, we haven't popped can of worms in a while. That's probably worth popping can of worms okay. on. I think that as readers, as consumers of entertainment in the last 40 years, we've become a lot more sophisticated. We want not to be told, uh, you know, what is happening uh, and not even so much want to be shown what's happening, we want to experience it. Mm -hmm. And if there's uncertainty, we want to experience being uncertain. Right. We don't want to be told that the character's yeah. not sure. We, we want, want to be unsure. We want to be unsure. Yeah. And well, that, that's like, you know, The Last Duchess that, that, that I mentioned earlier. The, that kind of, the joy of figuring out the story behind the story was what made that poem so good for me. And I think a lot of people today want that because they are more sophisticated. They have read this story. And if you want to tell them that same story, then there needs to be more. And there needs to be that, you know, second layer or the kind of uncertainty so that they get to feel really excited and really good about themselves when they figure it all out. 
Now let's, um, let's end with me throwing out a warning. One thing you can do wrong in this, it's very tricky, is withholding too much from, mm, the, from the reader. Absolutely. And uh, Dan called me on this in our writing group last week. You've got to be very careful what you're withholding and how you're withholding it and giving good reasons for the characters being unreliable. If they simply don't know it, then that's great. You've got a good excuse. Yeah. But if they know something and they are deliberately withholding information from the reader, you're going to have a frustrated reader unless mm -hmm. there's a legitimate excuse, a legitimate yeah. explanation. Or unless you're yeah, Dan John, Brown, who does John it saw a clue on the floor and picked it up and put it in his yeah. pocket. Just tell us. And the author is not telling you what yeah. the clue was. Yeah. That's yeah. hiding mm -hmm. too much. Um, and that's hard to not do. Right, it is. It's very hard to and not there, do. There are tricks to get around it. Maybe we should can of worms that. Yeah. Um, you know, how to deal with these sorts of concepts. But it is very difficult. You can't reveal everything because it would make for a boring story, yet you can't withhold too much. Otherwise, the reader's going to think you're just doing it mm -hmm. to make them you're annoyed. You're just jerking them around. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and give our writing prompt this time. I would like you to do... To have an event occur and then have five different perspectives of that event, which are none of which are completely true. Just people's own views of what happened. They did this once in the X-Files. It was a wonderful episode. The mm -hmm. movie Hero uh, accomplishes this. Different narratives explaining the same an episode of CSI. Um, Rashomon yeah. by uh, so, Kurosawa. Give this a try yourself. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Five times. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of five excuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.